The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB, Talk 860, and womentowatch.net. I um, I want to give out our phone number in case you're listening to the show this afternoon and you'd like to call in and, and speak directly with our guest. That number is 888-329-3306. That's 888-329-3306. I am so excited and and honored and thrilled uh, to have a guest on the show this afternoon that I've been following for quite some time and have great respect for. Her name is Amy Cuddy. Amy is a social psychologist. She is a professor and researcher at Harvard. She is um, the number two most viewed TED Talk in history. And um, I am very excited to introduce her today. Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I, I have to give full disclosure. You know, I, I I wasn't very nervous this afternoon because I am very well prepared and have been thinking about my questions for you um, for quite some time. And then all of a sudden I came into the studio and my phone is absolutely blowing up with friends and, oh. and colleagues who um, wanted to contribute and listen in and, and ask some questions. So, you know, I just I thought that was ironic in light of what we're going to be talking about today. Well, that's a good sign, right? It is. It is a good sign. Good. So, Amy, the first thing I wanted to do was to talk a little bit about uh, your growing up years. You know, um, I think you you know that the tagline for Women to Watch is the real story behind the title. And, you know, that is because I find it's it's so important to uh, find out about women who have great accomplishments like yourself, who they really are behind their title. And that would be in your case of, you know, a professor and an author and a TED Talk speaker. So I wonder if you can just talk a few minutes about your growing up years in, in Pennsylvania uh, prior to prior to the accident that, that most people know about. Um, well, I grew up in Berks County, so very rural Pennsylvania. I grew up in a town called Robazonia. Maybe maybe some of your listeners are from there. Um you know, it's it's a it's a very very uh, agricultural area. I think a third of my high school class went to college. Um, you know, hardworking, the kind of place where you you know you you have a job when you're 13 doing something, whether it's delivering papers or babysitting or you know raking the neighbor's leaves. So I, you know, I grew up in a really I think very much um, uh, middle class. Um, I don't know, real American small town. So I think that that was a pretty important part of of who I became in in in, uh, in ways that were sort of surprising. I think you know I, I spent a while in college feeling feeling like everyone else was kind of fancier and more metropolitan than I was, mm-hmm. and uh, and kind of you know feeling a little bit 
um, embarrassed about where I was from. And the funny thing is that now I, like, I couldn't be prouder of where I'm from. You know, I'm so, I'm so proud to have grown up in that kind of place where people, uh, you know, have pretty simple values and they, they find pleasure in simple things in each other in, you know, just having a little bit of downtime and they work hard. Um, so I, I, I think that that's a really important part of who I am. I certainly feel like I understand people. You know, I, I don't feel like I grew up in the ivory tower, as I think a lot of people in academia uh, did. So, so that was that was a pretty important part of who I became. Although I don't think that I could, re- I, re- I didn't recognize it as, at the time. And I, I honestly, you know, as, as a teenager, and this is probably not unusual, I wanted to get out of there. You know, I wanted to go somewhere fancier and bigger. And, um, and, and now, now I really look forward to going back to see people like my high school and elementary school teachers even. And the person that I stay with when I go home is my third grade teacher, um, who lived across the street from me and who, whose daughters I babysat and now collaborate with because they're also both psychologists. Oh wow, wow! That's yeah, it's that, neat. yeah. You know, things always come full circle, and I think that speaks directly to um, something we talk about on the show a lot: is that our past and and our childhood is so much a part of who we are and and what shapes us. And that, you know, it doesn't matter whether you come from middle class or upper class or somewhere fancy, as you say. Um, I always find that so interesting. So when you were a young girl, were your aspirations to go into academia? Were they to be uh, a teacher, a professor, um, to do research, or is that something that came later? Um, no, I, I, I wanted to be on Fame, on the TV show Fame. I think that's what <laughs> I wanted to be when I grew up. I danced with a ballet company in, in Reading, Burke's Ballet Theater, mm-hmm. so I spent a lot of time dancing and singing and um, doing performing arts. And, and that's that's really what I wanted to do as a kid. I then, um, when I went to college, I first wanted to be a broadcast journalist, actually. So I went to Syracuse for a year, and, uh, and they've got a great journalism school. So that's what I thought I wanted to do because I thought it was a good combination of um, the kind of, you know, performance in a way, but also being able to dig into the kind of fast-paced what's happening in the world right now. So there was a, a combination of kind of performance and reality that I liked. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, l- like most American college students, I changed my major many times. So right. I, I didn't end up sticking with that. Yeah, which is okay, right? It really is, you know, that's a time oh, definitely. to explore. Oh, I think it's actually, I think it's critical. I think that, that when people, when kids think they have a, path all carved out for them at age, you know, 14, mm-hmm. I'm worried right. <laughs> <laughs> because life does not unfold. You know, you have to let the path unfold before you. It, 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 I really believe that. I mean, you do the best you can in the moment and, you know, you, you be kind and you be kind to yourself and you respect yourself and you respect others and you follow the things that you love doing. And if that changes, that's okay. You know, that, that, that's, what you love doing today might not be what you love doing in five years. That's right. And I, I, I'm really worried when I see kids who feel like I have to be a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, I, I now live in a kind of, um, you know, sort of competitive suburb of Boston with really, you know, high rated public schools. And my son is in eighth grade and he's really 
um, you know, he's a smart, level-headed, really down-to-earth, great kid, and I'm not worried about him at all. Mm. But the funny thing is that he worries because we're kind of in a place where there's a lot of pressure to, um, you know, to be exceptional in these measurable ways. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, I don't, you know, here I am teaching at Harvard, and he says, oh, my gosh, I have to get into an Ivy League school. And I say, oh, please, don't. Don't go to an Ivy League school, you know. <laughs> right. have, have a life, you know. Do yeah. what you enjoy. Be yourself. I, I don't want you on that track. So, anyway, it's interesting. I, because when I say to him, is that what you want? Do you want to go to an Ivy League school? He doesn't really, He doesn't want to do that. He feels like it's what he should do. Mm. And should is pretty dangerous. That's right. Oh, I, I've seen that myself in, you know, in my uh, my own community and with my own children, and I think it's it's so much pressure. Um, I love the way you said, you know, really just to let things kind of develop um, on their own and the way they should is a much better mindset. Yeah, you have to do that. You yeah. really have to. Yeah. Because you can't control you can't control everything. That's right. I mean, you don't you don't know who you're going to be tomorrow. That's right. You know, you don't know what's going to change in your life or. Um, what opportunities are going to come your way. And if, you, if you're if you on a path, what you're doing is you're kind of putting up walls that I think prevent you from seeing opportunities. You know, if you don't have this perfectly carved out path, then you don't have walls around you. You're able to see what's around you. And some things that you might see as threatening aren't really threatening. They're actually challenging opportunities. So right. I, really, I, I really feel strongly that, that um, you know, trying to, carve out an entire path for your life is just not the not the healthiest way to go yeah i agree um i'd love to kind of jump ahead um and and go right to a question about your ted talk because amy i i feel that many people i know a lot of the people in my listening audience um know your story and your backstory um from that ted talk and one of this might be an obvious question and perhaps one that was asked of you before but i wanted to know when you were giving that talk if you were feeling like you were supposed to be there um well that's a tricky question um Oh wow! Um, I, I, I'm sorry. It's a really, it's a really hard question to answer. I, 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 I think I had moments of. Um, I certainly felt scared and and nervous and not sure that I would tell my whole story. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you, you know. You go to TED and you're kind of surrounded by by well exceptional people. You know, people who've really really excelled in whatever their area is. And what's interesting about it is that it's a really eclectic group of people. So it's not like you're going to an academic conference where everyone's in your area. That's right. Um, they've excelled in these different areas, which is really nice because in some ways it makes people less competitive with each other. Mm-hmm. They just want to learn from each other. But, you know, you still go, wow, do I really, did I, have I excelled enough to be in this in this company and do I have something that's interesting to say to these people? So yeah, I certainly had my moments of self-doubt. I certainly had my moments of self-doubt. And you know, for I should probably clarify for those listening that don't know why I asked you that because it can sound a little, you know, did you feel you were supposed to be there? Of course you were. And thank goodness you were, thank goodness for all of us that you were there. Um, but it's that, that's the tape that uh, I guess played often in your head that you felt you were not supposed to be there when you were in school and it's something I think we all feel quite often 
Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the irony of giving that talk and, it's, and still having those nerves is. Just, yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 really it's 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 remarkably common yeah. to have that feeling. I mean, not all the time, but people uh, people feel it. Most people feel it at some point in their lives, right. and uh, but we walk around thinking that we're the only one feeling it. That's right. One of the things I read in your book, um, you had mentioned, I, I believe it was in your book about women typically chronically feel less powerful than men. And it's certainly a topic we talk about often on the show. And I wanted to know your thoughts on why you think that is, whether it's mostly cultural um, issues or is it more of a, um, you know, emotional differences between men and women. Why do you think it is that women chronically feel less powerful? Um, Well, women as a group have less power in the world. I mean, there's there's no question that women – uh, and, you know, I'm not, this is not a political statement. This is just the truth, right? So in, yes. in virtu- virtually every society in the world, men have more formal power and resources and status than women as a group. And I'm not, of course, there are exceptions in, in terms of individuals. Um, but, you know, that, that that's, it, it's, it's a little bit of an, uh, an overlay on top of what the actual power differences are. Uh, but I think that women also learn you know, and you know, I, I hope that that changes and, and levels off, and we're seeing we we are seeing some progress in in that sense, um, at least in sort of in, in college and entry level jobs. You're still seeing pretty big differences when you get to the highest highest status, highest power positions. But uh, I think the other piece of it is that women learn or girls kind of learn to be delicate and dainty and to take up less space in the world, mm-hmm. you know, to be um, petite and uh, and a little bit submissive and to not talk out of turn. And if they do, people don't like them. You know, if, if, if they're too loud, people find them not so likable. But it's it's a kind of backlash that, that girls and women experience that men are, men are less likely to experience. So, you know, the, the, the trade-off that you see is that women are, are often seen as either competent but not very warm or as warm, but not very competent. Mm. And, uh, the, the, and there's, by the way, I mean, there, there are just probably now hundreds of studies on this. So I'm not, uh, this is not just my observation. Um, men tend not to have to make that trade off in the eyes of others. So men can be seen as both competent and warm, which is, which, which is fair, right? I mean, every, but, but everyone should, should be able to be seen as high on both of those dimensions. So I don't, I don't think that the perception of men should change. I want the perception of women to lift. You know, I want that to change. Yes. Uh, but that, that, you know, when you learn that growing up, it's, um, it's very hard to unfold, right? To sort of, to, you know, as you, as you kind of fold up and, and collapse, as a as a girl entering middle school, you really like you really start to see body language changes around that age, where girls start to wrap themselves up and kind of slouch their shoulders and pull their sleeves down over their hands, and, yes. and boys yes. don't do that. But once right. you, once you've done that as a girl, it's very hard to kind of uncurl again, you know, to mm. open yourself up again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating, and it, it kind of. It, uh, one of the questions I had for you was around the um, the phrase confidence without arrogance, and I think it's a great lesson for young people, boys and girls, that mm-hmm. you know we because we want our children to be 
competent and com, you know, and confident, but to teach them that they, they can and should be that without a sense of arrogance. And it seems to be something that. Yeah, you know, I think it's really important. Yep. And for, 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 for boys and for girls, right? It's, it's not, uh, it, it, it's, this is, I think people get confused often because they think that confidence and arrogance are the same thing or that somebody who's behaving in a way that's arrogant is actually really, really overconfident. And I don't think that's the case. I think that to me, arrogance is more likely to signal insecurity. Mm. You know, it lets me know that somebody is afraid to be questioned, right? So they're putting up this wall that prevents people from asking them questions. Right. Um, it's not the same as confidence. When people are truly confident, they're actually able to let their guard down. They're able to be open to feedback. They um, they don't think they have all the answers because no one has all the answers. Right? So true, true confidence is about admitting that you don't have all the answers and being open to what other people have to say. Arrogance does not allow for that conversation to happen. That's right. Yes. And I think people with confidence ask more questions. You know, they're comfortable yeah, in I, not uh, knowing. Absolutely. I yeah. mean, right. If, you, if you're confident, people, I mean, you know, pe- people don't ask questions when they're afraid of looking stupid, right? That's not confidence. That's right. right. So they, they ask questions when they feel confident enough to put themselves out there. That's right. Um, they, they don't need the, the affirmation from other people. They feel comfortable with who they are and they're, they're comfortable asking other people for questions. That's right. Um, listen, Amy, we're going so to take asking a, other people questions. For yeah. That's right. We have to take a very quick break. And when we come back, we have a caller, um, actually a woman I know uh, very well who happened to be a previous guest on the show. She's calling in from England. Her name is Janet Jones. And as soon as we come back from the break, we're going to let her ask you a question. We'll be right back. Okay, great. Where does one turn when faced with the devastating loss of hair from cancer or other medical conditions? When Jamie Levin, owner of Wig Elegance, Wigadoo, and Rosalind Stella's Wig Boutique, lost her own mother to cancer in 2009, she and her husband Rob decided to take over the full-service family-owned wig salons to honor her mother's memory. What their company offers is the personal and private experience that men, women, and children deserve at such a difficult time. To learn more about their unique services and warm and compassionate staff at all three salons, such as a free consultation with expertise, full education, private booths, and clean set and cutting services, go to wigelegancewigs.com or call 215-945-4900. That's wigelegancewigs.com. 215-945-4900. That phone number again is 215-945-4900. And ask for your special offer as a listener to the show on selected items such as $50 off a synthetic wig or $100 off a human hair wig. That's wigelegancewigs.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Uh, My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm being joined uh, this afternoon by Amy Cuddy. Amy Cuddy is a professor and a researcher at Harvard Business School, and she is the author of a brand-new book called Presence. And um, uh, we have a caller, actually. We have a caller on the line, Janet Jones, who I mentioned I know, and she has a question for you. Janet, welcome to the show. Hi, Susan, and hi, Amy. (laughs) What a great interview. Hi, Janet. 
Hi. I mean, I could ask loads and loads of questions. However, I'm going to stick with the one that I thought of earlier because it's still relevant to everything that you've been talking about. And um, <clears throat> the, the question was, you know, it seems that for women, that no matter how successful we are, um, there's still kind of this fear that either we're not going to make it or that we'll lose it um, unless something that, like, we keep keeping that pace and there's this fear we might burn out and, you know, a lot of people are burning out, unfortunately. Um, and I just wonder, you know, in this fast-paced world, what can women actually do? I mean, your book is fantastic, and I would actually say read the book. Um, but, you know, what, what would you recommend for women to kind of overcome this wow. fear? Yeah, it's, it's hard. I mean, again, after, after writing a book, a 350-page book, it's so hard for me to distill it. But um, I think you know, one, one thing is just to recognize that um, – that you're not alone, that, that, that a lot of people are walking around um, having these sort of insecurities and these moments, and they are just moments, right? They're, they're not, they're not uh, it's, it's not your permanent state. It's okay for you to have moments of self-doubt, and everyone else is having them. We just don't talk about them, which is too bad, <laughs> because if we yeah. did, we'd feel a whole lot better. So I think that yeah. is the first thing. Um, the second, and the thing is, I... I to be honest, it's, even as a person who's studied, you know, I've studied prejudice and sexism and racism for, for 15 years, and still I feel that this is a book for women and men, um, and, mm. and the advice is for women and men. I hear from just as many men as I do from women who, who are also feeling, and they're not men writing to say, I'm so confident, I don't need any of this advice. You know, they're writing to say, wow, you know, I've got this really high-powered job, and I walk in feeling insecure all the time or something like that. But but I, yeah. I think one of the one of the great exercises is to, uh, and hundreds of studies on this as well. Um, it's a technique developed by uh, Claude Steele, a professor at Stanford, uh, and it's called self affirmation. And it's not self affirmation in the, uh, I don't know if you you remember the Saturday Night Live skit skit with um, Stuart Smalley where he'd say, "I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me." Uh, but yeah. the whole crux of, the, of it was that it didn't work because you can't tell yourself you feel great when you don't feel great. You, you just feel yeah. like you're lying to yourself. Real self-affirmation involves identifying one or two of your absolute core values, the things that really make you who you are. And they don't have to be canned. I mean, they, they should be something mm. that, like, for me, I love live music. No matter what, I will love live music. Um mm. So it seems like, like I love music. I love going to hear, listen to music. It makes me feel good. Um, and, uh, and, and so I think that what you, you, that would be, that would probably be one for me. You then write about yeah. why it matters to you. Um, and, um, and, and write about a time when you were able to experience or express it. And then, uh, what happens is just by doing that simple self-affirmation exercise where you are identifying a core value, writing about why it matters to you, writing about a time when you expressed it, it dramatically reduces stress. It improves mm. performance in very stressful situations. And the idea is that what's happening is that it's kind of anchoring us or grounding us in who we are. Right. Yeah. So um, yeah. it's, it's, it's making us feel uh, that no matter what happens, we will still be that person. And the funny thing is that when we get in touch with that part of ourselves, 
that that mm-hmm. part that can't be hurt by doing poorly in a in a you know venture capital pitch, for example, yeah. uh, we actually end up doing better. Ironically, so I, it's, it's, mm-hmm. I think that we need to ground ourselves in the truth of who we are, and that allows us to take some risks and uh, to feel a little bit safer doing so. Right, and so do you think that that then resonates with? And there's a quote that you use in your book by William James, and he says, begin to be now what you will be after. So yeah. does that kind of, that still connects with that? So oh, begin yeah. to I mean, be now what, what you will be after. Sure, what you be, yeah, what, what you will be hereafter. So, um, yeah, the idea is that you, um, you, you sometimes need to, uh, you need to take some chances. You need to start um convincing yourself by through through you know I talk a lot about body language but you need to mm. to convince yourself that you are um that you are confident enough to be yourself so you're not tricking other people but you sometimes do need to trick yourself into feeling confident enough to reveal who you are so that's the idea of beginning to be now what you will be hereafter you know so you decide yeah. I'm I'm going to be my boldest self and you do the things you need to do to allow yourself to do that, and and then um, and then you 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 slowly, incrementally over time, it gets easier and easier for you to be who you are, and you end up feeling more like yourself, and you leave these stressful situations um, not feeling regretful, but but feeling uh, like you you show them who you are, you know, feeling a sense yeah. of satisfaction. Yeah. So it's the confidence to be that person who has those values exactly right. and show the world it, that you know, person. Right. So mm-hmm. it, it's it, it, it's a matter of um, you know knowing who you are, and that's the self affirmation ex- exercise that I was talking about, and yeah. and then being being feeling safe enough to sh- to share that self, and you know when you're able to do that, you're not only helping yourself, you're actually helping others to be more mm-hmm. present, right? So when, when you're able to be yourself, to show mm-hmm. people your authentic self, uh, other people are able to do the same because they trust you. So it, it, it doesn't create value only for you. It creates value for others as well. Brilliant. That's brilliant. Thank you very much, Amy. Thank, thank you. you. And Janet, thank you. It was so lovely yeah. to hear your voice again. Yeah, well, it's great tuning in, and thanks for giving me the heads up on uh, on interviewing Amy, because, Amy, I've watched your TED Talk so many times. In fact, I even quote you uh, in my book about your power pose and all that kind of stuff. So I, uh, I, I love what you're doing, and it's very powerful, and your message really is, um, you know, spreading around the world, and just about everybody I know actually does your power pose. So. <laughs> men, and men and women. Men and women, right? women. Yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah. We don't do it on the street. Right. <laughs> in <laughs> private. In private. I go on an early right, morning. Right, right, exactly, exactly. It's dark in the morning, and I was out doing this early morning walk, and I get to the top of the hill, and I do my power pose, and I do this like crazy dance, and then one morning, somebody was walking up behind me. So I thought, <laughs> I'm pretend I had something in my shoe, you know. I, I did oh, I love bit. that. I love that. I hope you felt comfortable even in that moment. Yeah. Keep doing I, it, Janet. So, Keep doing it. I will it. I will indeed. Thank you ever so much, girls. Thanks, Janet. Thanks for calling in. Thank you. Thank you.
Um, I, I love that. And, and Janet's doing some really uh, wonderful work. Uh, her, her organization is called Happiness Millionaire, and she works very, very hard to try to help others, um, you know, kind of find, find their voice, uh, find their confidence and, and all of that good stuff. Um, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. I wanted to know this. I read this line. There, of course, there were so many lines in the book that I mean, the, the questions were just going on and on and on. I thought I'll never, I'll never get through the show if I write down every question. But when when something resonates with me, um, you know, I, I try to bring it up. And you spoke about really presence is kind of those moments when you feel acutely alive. Um, I think that's such yeah. a great visual, right? It's it's yeah. when when you're just feeling joyful. And I'm wondering if you could describe a moment recently when you yourself have felt acutely alive, you know, true to yourself and performing at your highest potential. Mm. I mean, I, I love speaking. So I often, I often feel that way when I'm on stage speaking, mm-hmm. I just really feel very connected with the audience and whoever I'm talking to, they seem at the moment to be the most interesting audience in the world. You know, I mm. feel like these are the most interesting people in the world. So I, I feel very much connected with people uh, when I'm speaking, um, which I, I, I never expected to, to feel because, you know, probably 10 years ago I, I, I was terrified of public speaking. That's when I probably feel uh, that, that moment the most strongly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, in a book signing line, when I'm talking to all of these people coming through and they're sharing their stories, right. I feel the same way. I really want to talk forever to each person. So that really feels like, you know, I'm connecting with them about something I care about, something they care about. We're sharing these personal stories. Um, we both, we feel moved by each other. That's a pretty, that's a pretty meaningful uh, moment of feeling acutely alive for me. Yeah, it, it is. And it's, you know, um, one true story, one honest confession, you know, it really can be powerful. It's, it's something you said. And, and I, I see it every week on the show when, when I interview someone and they find those moments of really opening up from a personal place. Um, I don't know that people truly understand how that moves others who are listening to, to make changes in their own life. It really is powerful. Yeah, it, it is. I think it's, uh, um, I, I, I didn't really understand how powerful it was until after I gave that talk. But, you know, then people started sharing their stories with me and I felt the same way. You know, I, I felt the same way they did to hear my story. I felt like they were sharing something really precious that, uh, that allowed me to feel um, more comfortable with who I was, right? To know that we're having this universal experience of feeling uh, self-doubt feeling those voices of self-doubt. So That's yeah, right. I think it's, I think it's so important for people to be open and honest about, about these things. Um, I, I, you know, I, I'm not a fan of, you know, when people say, oh, you need to be thick skinned and you need to be, you know, strong all the time. And I, that just seems crazy to me. I mean, what, no, no one actually is that. So why pretend to be that? It only leads the rest of the world to feel inadequate because they can't do that. That's right. So I think it's really important for us to be honest that life is not perfect and um, no one no one has a perfect life. And I think, you know, in this age of social media and presenting all of these perfect moments, that, that might be even more uh, important for us to be sharing the, the tough moments as well, That's the right. challenges as well. And, and you know what? It's healthy. It, I, I think that there's a lot of people suffering physically from keeping so much in. 
um, and and it really can heal you physically when you when you allow yourself to to open up. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's very, very, very important for for us to do that for ourselves as well. Yeah. Listen, I wanted your take on. I'm not sure if you watched the Masters this weekend. Did you Did you happen to tune in? I'm not. No, I did not. And the reason I was asking because I I find you know so much of what you talk about in the book um, has to do with with our performance and performing and and you know the front runner. Um, kind of fell apart in in the Masters this weekend, and, and it was very interesting. And I was was going to ask you your take on what you thought happened uh, to Jordan Spieth during that that twelfth hole, um, because he was oh. just performing. And maybe you saw it on the news, did you? I'm really sorry. No, I wish okay. I could help you on this That's one. This okay. is about the, la- the last thing that I know anything about. So um, I'm, I, I, I'm sorry. That's I'm sorry all right. That no, no. You, you know, it's just it's a it's a kind of a classic story about an athlete who you know just was who has all the skills and and everything he needs to do well or she needs to do well, and then there's that moment of just kind of falling apart and. Um, and you could probably comment on that just in general. What is what is going on in those moments when when someone who really has the experience and the skills and and the ability um, and they are kind of on a high, and then all of a sudden there's that moment or that one day um, when it's yeah, not. What uh, do you think well, is happening? I think it's probably not just one day, but but it, sometimes it's really the wrong day. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's 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 that when that happens, we are walking into these stressful situations where we know we're going to be watched and judged by people, and where the stakes feel very high, and sometimes we're just not in the right mindset to be able to deal with that that level of threat, and so we kind of go into fight or flight mode, and rather than uh, being strong and able to kind of bring forth our skills and our um, our, our strengths, we, we shut down and we can't access those things. And, you know, we kind of choke. I mean, that, you know, people have referred to it as choking and that, that's sort of what happens. But I think it's, it's, it's not that we could on another day be facing the same situation and, and better able to deal with it. But sometimes that combination of social judgment and high stakes is just too much for us. And, um, and our brains, respond as frightened animals, not as, you know, as frightened animals being attacked by a predator. Mm -hmm. And that's not really very adaptive, but that's kind of what our nervous system ends up doing. Mm. And and so that makes it very hard for us to be present and able to, um, yeah, to, to basically respond to what's happening in that moment. Instead, we're worrying about what people think of us, what's going to happen if we don't do well. We're worrying about what we did five minutes ago that we should have done differently all of these things are spinning through our heads and basically eating up all of our bandwidth to do other things, right? So rather than being able to focus on the task in front of us, we're worrying about all of these things that, that have happened or, might, or that might happen in the future and that we really don't have very much control over. And I think that's, that's what happens when you see people kind of, you know, fall apart in these moments. That's what's going on. So would you say then we we never really have the ability to kind of perfect um, our sense of being present, being in the moment, being our, our full true self? So, you know, we can practice 
um, what it takes to do it, and we can read all about the things that will remind us how to be, but that we never truly will perfect it, I guess. Is is that the, the case? Well, I think that we won't perfect it. Um, we might we might do it really well in some moments, but we never get to the point where we can do it every time. Okay. Uh, you right. know, there, there will be moments, you know, presence is not a permanent state. It's not something that you get to that's transcendent and you never feel that sense of challenge again or that sense of threat. It's something that gets easier and easier with practice, but we have to let ourselves off the hook and know that some moments, some days are going to be bad days. They just are. Right. You know, sometimes we're not going to leave feeling that we did our best. Right. Sometimes we're not going to, we're not, not only not feel that we did our best, sometimes we're not going to do our best. Yeah. Um, I think that takes the pressure okay off. With that. Yeah, I think that actually I, takes the pressure off a little bit. So we're not expecting it. it should, yeah, it should take the pressure off. But yes. people have trouble letting go of, of this idea that they're going to, conquer in some way i mean mm. words like conquer conquering your fears like no one conquers their fears everyone has fears it's not a matter of being fearless it's a matter of being brave enough to push through them sometimes mm-hmm. that, <laughs> you know so yes. i think that people get i i often say the people that i most admire are not fearless i i you know if you're fearless there's something wrong with you <laughs> if you have no fears at all right. um, but but it's it's the people who can push through them when they really need to and in, in ways that not only help them, but that help others. I mean, those are the people who I think we see as truly heroic, right? The people who push through their own fears, uh, they still feel them, but they push through them. They, they get on top of them or ahead of them and they do things that are courageous, right? That, that are, that are helpful to them and to others. That's right. That's right. You know, really when you're, you're, you're searching and digging for that courage for the sake of helping someone else, that you know, those are the best people. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. One, you know, I wrote down one of uh, one of your quotes that that was my favorite. Um, you said, "The stories that have most inspired me are from people whose biggest challenge is to face each mm-hmm. new day with a bit more optimism and dignity than the day before. Ordinary people yeah. who continue to find it within themselves to try. What you know? What a what yeah. a wonderful statement." Thank you. I mean, I, I, those people do really inspire me and I hear from so many people who, um, remind me that the, the, what, what the, the, the nature of challenges varies dramatically from place to place and person to person. And some people, um, are really just trying to get through the day, um, in, in a way that, that um, feels self-respecting, but also that where they're, 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 they might be helping their their friends or their family or people in their community, but you know their challenge is not to you know get, get the the high-paying job. Their challenge is to yeah to get through the day and mm-hmm. have a sense of personal power and pride at the end of the day. That's right. Yeah, those are those are some of the you know the most wonderful people. Um, Amy, we are going to take an, another quick break, um, and when we come back, I want to go back a little bit to um, to your accident and talk about how the determination that you had to not let people tell you you couldn't do something, um, I think, was a big uh, was a big impact on you. We'll be right back. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, 
Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Where does one turn when faced with the devastating loss of hair from cancer or other medical conditions? When Jamie Levin, owner of Wig Elegance, Wigadoo, and Rosalind Stella's Wig Boutique, lost her own mother to cancer in 2009, she and her husband Rob decided to take over the full-service family-owned wig salons to honor her mother's memory. What their company offers is the personal and private experience that men, women, and children deserve at such a difficult time. To learn more about their unique services and warm and compassionate staff at all three salons, such as a free consultation with expertise, full education, private booths, and clean set and cutting services, go to wigelegancewigs.com or call 215-945-4900. That's wigelegancewigs.com. 215-945-4900. That phone number again is 215-945-4900. And ask for your special offer as a listener to the show on selected items such as $50 off a synthetic wig or $100 off a human hair wig. That's wigelegancewigs.com. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of Women to Watch. I have with me this afternoon Amy Cuddy. And we are talking about all kinds of things around the topic of confidence and presence and performance and all of that, that good stuff. Something that, uh, you said, Amy, that I just, I loved the fact that you were not going to take no for an answer. Um, so when, back when you were 19 and, and you suffered that car accident, uh, afterwards you, were determined to go back to school and, and to Harvard specifically. And you're saying, I couldn't accept people telling me I couldn't do it. I wanted to know if that's something you say on a regular basis, even today, um, in your life and in the work that you do. Hmm. Um, I don't know that I, ex- let's see, uh, I guess so. Yeah, I think I'm probably, I mean, you could say tenacious. Or stubborn, right? Depending on how you look at it. Yeah. Um, I don't. Yeah, I, I think that is part of my personality, to be honest. Well, I think that's <laughs> I think a good that's trait. Just part of who I am. Yeah, that's a great. Yeah, I think that is. To be motivated. So, uh, yeah, um, to be motivated by um, kind of the um, the challenge of it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yes. I. I. Let's see. I'm not sure. If, maybe it is being motivated by the challenge of it. But it's, it's certainly not easy to talk me down when I get, get onto something. When I decide there's something I'm going to do, <laughs> there's a pretty good chance that I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, get pretty far along in the process of, of doing that thing. Yeah. 
Well, I think that's a great lesson for young people. And actually, one of one of uh, my listeners to the show had a question. They wanted to know if if you felt that your expertise specifically has a place in schools with young people. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of life is hard. Life is very hard, especially for young people today. And the the young students who perhaps end up turning to drugs because of their uh, personal problems, their, you know, problems in life, or the, as we were talking about at the top of the show, the pressures of, of being perfect in every area of their life. Do you think that what you're teaching in this book has a place for them? Definitely. I mean, I, th- I think, you know, it's, it's, well, I, I hear from people from all, you know, of all different ages, but I do think that young people, you know, people just finishing college, just finishing high school, you know, embarking on new journeys and about to face new challenges might be, uh, might find that that, that this kind of approach particularly useful and reassuring. Um, I do think that people, most people in, in, in our culture, but maybe young people in particular, have this feeling of having to do everything, not just, um, not just professionally, but even personally, that, that, that they have to be living some exceptional life where they're, uh, where they're, they're having all kinds of adventures all the time and, <laughs> and, um, yeah. and accomplishing, you know, and, and staying late at work all the time. And, you know, I, I just don't think that, um, that's reasonable. And, and, and again, back to the sort of social media piece, I think that people are presenting themselves, our friends are presenting themselves as if they are able to do everything. That's right. And we don't see all of the in-between, which, you know, I talk about as stirring the oatmeal. You know, a lot of the time you're just kind of stirring the oatmeal so that it doesn't get stuck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're not having those adventures. So, yeah, I, I think uh, we have to, you know, we, we have to go easier on ourselves. It's not about doing, it's not about working less hard. Um, I do think, uh, you know, it, and that just varies from 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 person to person. But work, working hard is important to me. Mm-hmm. But what I'm finding is that doing fewer things is important, right? So in, instead of trying to do everything in that amount of time, I need to focus on the ones that I care most about and that I love doing the most and that will have the greatest impact, rather than trying to do everything. Because when you try to do everything, you're not really doing anything very well. You know, you're not able to be present enough to do any of those pieces well. That's right. So I, I think that that's, that's part of understanding that you have limits. And given that you have limits, and everyone else does, even if they're not showing you that they do, I promise you that they do. I promise that they are walking around feeling insecure <laughs> at moments and feeling self-doubt. Yes. That you have to find a way to, to do to do to do fewer things and to to do them well and with compassion and convic- conviction, I would say. So so here's a question for you: When you um, kind of create your life in that purposeful way, you know, and you can choose what you will get involved in and what you won't. When you're someone like you who is, you know, you're world renowned for for your book and your TED talk, so you have a different amount of requests and information and people coming to you for things, um, whether you're, you're choosing to, to, to live simpler or not, how do you handle that overwhelm of uh, requests, yeah, I'll say? Um, it's really tough. I, I, 
I honestly do feel guilty often. I, I mean, I can't respond. I can't even respond to everything. Mm-hmm. And um, that's that's really tough. I, I, in the beginning, could, and now I can't. Uh, I feel, I, I, I'm still trying to figure out how to manage that. Yeah. So it, it's, one thing is, for me, and, you know, this is maybe my lifestyle has become a little bit unusual because I'm, you know, I'm doing kind of two full-time jobs right now as a professor and also as an author and speaker. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I do need people to help me. You know, I need help. That's one thing. <laughs> to answer emails. Help. Yes. Yeah. Or, or just to help me schedule things or figure out what I should be doing. You know, what's in, what's important for me to be doing? Mm-hmm. Um, what are the things that I just can't find the time to do? So having having good advisors, you know, good people in your life to help you, I think that's really important. And and you can do that with friends and family. I mean, my husband's really so good at keeping me grounded and reminding me that I don't have to do everything, you know, that it's going to be okay if I don't do everything yes. and kind of talking me through that. Well, I have to, t- I'm so honored that, that you chose to, you know, to do this show. I mean, I, I will tell oh, you, I, yeah, of course. I can't imagine, um, how I, I do know how busy you are and, and that the requests come in. So when I heard back from, from your assistant, I was, I was beyond thrilled. Um, well, thank you so much for, <laughs> for inviting me. Yeah. I, I wondered if you're thinking in the back of your mind about um, studying another topic right now, something in the future after you have um, kind of spoken as, as much as you feel you can about your latest book, Presence. Is there another area that you're, that you're anxious to, to, to get yeah. to and study? Kind of depends on the day, to be honest. Um, <laughs> Something different every day, I, right? Yeah, it's it's hard. I mean, you know, I I really do love, um, you know, I, I I was a professional ballet dancer and I I love music and there's there's the, there's a, a, definitely an artistic side of me um, that I don't feel like I fully get to express. And writing for a non-academic audience helps me to do that, but you know, not not com- doesn't completely satisfy that. So that that's part of me. I mean, there's certainly there are a lot of studies that I'd like to do. And, you know, I'd like to do a lot of field studies to find out how we can develop really easy interventions that help people feel more confident um, and make better decisions and, and feel like they're bringing them best, their, 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 their best selves forward. But, you know, I think that's sort of the obvious uh, next step. I'm also really interested, honestly, in... Um, and this is this is a less happy topic, but I'm really interested in in sort of adult bullying, like workplace bullying and mm-hmm. and internet bullying and and the kind of shaming that goes on. Uh, and ha- you know, has that gotten worse with with social media? Is it is it the same as it's always been? But now it's just more visible to us. Um, I think that you know, we when we talk about bullying, we're usually talking about kids, but a lot of adults experience bullying as well and um i I don't think it's something that ends when you you know graduate from high school so the psychology of of that you know both from the perspective of the the bullies and the bullied is something that's really interesting to me and again it's kind of one of those things where i want people to not feel alone people who are experiencing those things to Mm -hmm. know that other people are experiencing them too um so that's that's a possibility. 
That's yeah. a possibility. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great, especially, you know, everything around the topic of social media is such a important topic and it's something we need to talk about because it certainly is something that's different in today's world than years ago. You know, um, when you, when you said, is it worse today or, or is it just that we know about it? I think about that all the time, a lot of topics, because we know yeah. everything that is going on I every know, day all around the world. Um, it's, it's can be a burden. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, and, and that's one of the things that I think uh, that, uh, Steven Pinker, who's a psychologist here at Harvard, and, you know, a public intellectual and has written many great books, he often talks about how, you know, we think the world is becoming more violent, but actually it's not. It's just that we're more exposed to it. We have easier access to those stories. Well, and I we're hope that's true. Yes. Civilized. yes. I, think it, I think it pretty clearly is true. Um, I know it's very hard for people to believe, and that's part of what he writes about. So I, I think probably this bullying is not new, but right. I'd like to understand the basic elements of it and, mm-hmm. and how, how we can kind of um, learn to, to undo these things. Right. Yes. Amy, tell me what advice you would have for women who are looking to, you know, they're kind of in the second half now. They're, they're empty nesters. They've raised their children, and they're looking for that um, second phase. Um, and, and there's a lot of entrepreneurship going on today, um, with women in particular. What advice would you have for them, for the, for the women who specifically want to make, or have, I should say, a positive influence and impact in their communities or, or even globally? What are some of the things that they can do from, um, I would say a mental standpoint to kind of, um, gear, you know, um, give themselves that that confidence that they can do it that they should go out and do it yeah i think i mean i think we the, the, the thing that people forget about with with power and powerlessness is that when we feel powerless we're not just um uh failing to take advantage of opportunities that will help us but we generally just don't act i mean when we feel powerless we it activates the inhibition system and we kind of shut down and we don't we don't stand up for ourselves, but we also don't stand up for others. Uh, and we start to, yeah, we, we maybe we're sitting in a meeting and something happens that, that is not okay, but we don't say anything. Mm. Even though we know it's not okay, we start to second guess ourselves and we say, well, no one else is saying something, so maybe, maybe it's not such a big deal. So, it, you know, feeling personally powerful is, uh, is good for you and also for the people in your life, you know, in your, in your community, in your family. So, uh not not backing away from feeling powerful and confident and strong and proud i think that women do you know and we talked about this earlier but women are sort of more likely to feel um that it doesn't fit with their idea of what what is feminine and what it means to be a a woman that's right so trust yourself you know don't let that self-doubt get in you know uh, you need self-trust you need to you know, when, you, when your gut is telling you, hey, something bad is happening here and I want to stand up and do something about it, I know there are many ways to help people in your community, um, but that's, that's one of the things. You know, that's part of it. Part of it is recognizing that there's something going on that needs to change. And I think that we often stop because we think, oh, maybe it's not so bad or maybe I'm wrong or maybe I'm, over, maybe I'm overreacting. You know, women are often told they're oversensitive or they're overreacting. Yes. And, um you know, that's that's too bad because I think that – and that's back to that, you know, what I said about having a thick skin. 
you know, you can have a thin skin and still heal really quickly. Mm, <laughs> Thick yeah. skin isn't necessarily good. It might mean you don't feel things that you should feel. <laughs> that's right. You know, that's right. Right. So I think that it, I think the whole idea that, that uh, being oversensitive is not a label that is often attached to boys, but it is to girls. And I think that's really too bad because sensitivity is a big part of empathy and social awareness and being able to interact and communicate well with people. So I guess, you know, to embrace those parts of yourself mm -hmm. and then when when you feel something is happening that needs to change, trust yourself, you know, do something about it. Be the one to act. Be the first one to step in. You know, don't be the quiet, silent bystander. Yeah. You know what? That's a great way to end the show. Uh, I love that advice, and I, I'm going to let you go, thank Amy. You. And I, I thank you again so much for taking uh, an hour out of your busy day to be with us and, and share your story and, and the work that you're doing. Very happy to. Thanks so much for having me. That's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch. And again, I, uh, I encourage you to visit our website in case you've missed any of the live programming. You can find us at www.womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. Have a great week, everyone.